On this episode, we interview Bill Clayman, the Executive Vice President of Digital Solutions at Switch. During our interview, Bill explains the evolution of the data center industry, edge computing, and so much more. Brace yourself. You're now entering the TechBench Podcast. Well, um, and very nice to meet you, and thank you for coming on the TechMensch podcast today. Uh, it's it's a pleasure, Steve. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. So I've got uh, James Patronelli, my co-host. Steve Bill, good to be here with you. Um, cool. So, you know, I'm just going to run right in. You know, Bill, so I had read this recent article that you'd written uh, for Data Center Knowledge, and one of the things you, you talk about it in there is, I mean, it's the whole point of the article, right, is how difficult it is getting young people into the data center space. And, you know, honestly, I feel like pretty much everybody I talk to has the same thing. It's like it's so hard to get, you know, young people, get millennials into, you know, XYZ industry that they're in, except if you're maybe a video game designer and it feels mm-hmm. like pretty much everybody wants to do that. Um, but I guess before I really go any further, like what do you define as the data center space? That's a a really great way to start, right? Uh, How do you get into a career if you can't even define it, right? It's it's fascinating in itself, right, where we don't want to call it a data center anymore. You know, we kind of want to call it a digital infrastructure. Let's make it something uh, cooler, something a little bit better. Uh, And even to your earlier example, where where you've got uh, younger people who all they want to do is develop and design games and you know make this new, cool, shiny thing that's going to be living in the cloud, but you ask them the question of, do you... Do you know where this stuff lives? There's, there's an actual physical infrastructure where all of your Xbox games and all of your Pinterest and all of your Instagram photos, all of this stuff has a home. And in a world of digital connectivity, this persistently always on society that we live in, you have to be aware of the environments that these things, this data, all of this, this new oil of our generation, which is information and data, where it all resides. And here's the thing. It's not all in the cloud. So how do we define a data center, right? If we take a look at this legacy nomenclature, it's a physical building with a whole bunch of servers and networking equipment and gear that's sitting in, in an environment. Well, today, that, that's kind of different, right? You've got stuff that's attached to maybe like a telecom site. You've got things called the edge. You do have cloud, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud environments. So a data center today is, is fundamentally different than I think what it used to be even five to 10 years from now, uh, for, uh, ago, excuse me. Um, and to the point where when we talk to younger people, when we talk to anybody who's looking in to get into this technology space, it's no longer so much a data center as it is a technology ecosystem, supporting density, supporting uh, things like cognitive systems, not just virtual machines, not just an application or two, certainly not like a pizza box server anymore. Um, the modern data center, if you take a look at some of the big cloud providers or even my organization switch, come for a tour, you'll see that it's not just blinking lights, but literally the foundation 
for our digital future. It's a very long-winded way to, to define what a data center is, but I don't think there's a really clear-cut definition anymore. And maybe, maybe us trying to define this model is what's to, to disenfranchise some of the young people in working here in the first place. Well, I think so much of it, too, right, is, I mean, all right, so going back to when I was young, I knew, not that I'm not young anymore. You're still young. <laughs> you're, you're still but young. Like, Come you know, on. I mean, you know, you know the things that's around you, and you know what's the coolest stuff that you know. So for a lot of kids, that's going to be their phone or, you know, maybe their iPad or whatever. Um, and the things that you can do with it and whatever. So, okay, fine, I like this. I'm going to do this because I feel mm -hmm. like that's about as far, as far as I can go in my imagination with the, the limited set of things that I know. So mm -hmm. why would I want to get into, you know, I don't know, codex or whatever when I've never even heard of a codec? And that's like the most microscopic little piece of programming. So going from there to, you know, all of the things that go into how to get people from A to B, right, without mm -hmm. even knowing that there's so many steps between those trying to educate people into these things exist and mm -hmm. this is what it's all about. Um, I feel like so many industries are trying to figure out ways to communicate that because we've lost so much job training and whatever in the school system. I, I couldn't agree more. A lot of it's to do with context, right? Re creating this new aperture, visibility in terms of what these technologies are doing and what they can do in general. And you, you made a really good point. How do you create a a linear, tangible definition for a young person learning about technology to say, this is what I want to do, but I also understand that a data center is where all this stuff gets housed. Let me give you a really, really quick example. I was doing a, uh, a keynote address for the incoming class of freshmen for a technical school here in Chicago. Um, and after the conversation, this is one young lady, very, very excited, 18 years old, comes up to me and says, I'm going to be a game designer. And I'm like, that's, that's really, really cool. What do you want to do? She's like, well, I, I mean, I, I want to I design games. I'm like, so you want to create like the health bar in Mortal Kombat? What, what are you trying to do? She's like, well, I'm going to be doing com computer science and I'm going to be learning around data engines and how, you know, how the flow of information goes through a certain set of programming and a certain set of variables. I'm like, oh, so you're creating... Uh, cognitive systems. And she kind of looked at me like, you realize that people at, you know, Google and Facebook and other kinds of organizations, NVIDIA, who are designing thinking models, they're going to they're gonna want to talk to you because you're not just creating games, you're creating game theory, an environment that leverages data to think. And you should have seen this young person, her eyes opened up and she's like, these are, these are my possibilities. It's not just designing a game, but literally creating engines that think that can be facilitated in, in a variety of different kinds of uh, business use cases. So, um, you know, going back to your original point, you make it very, very um, accurate. Uh, it's, it's the challenge of tying together pieces and components. It's not just one or the other, but really seeing the big picture in terms of what these technologies do, where they live, and how they'll impact our future. So when people start, young people start getting excited about this and they start learning, it's not just about, you know, the games and it's not about the cool titles. It's, it's about this um, engine that, that makes, you know, that thinks, so to speak, and the mm -hmm. technology that's evolving. You know, at what age do you find that people need to get into that to really start um, uh, to be able to get into the industry? What, you know, what schools are people going to? What age do they need to get mm -hmm. involved? You know what? 
high school is too late. Uh, listen, that, that's not to say that you shouldn't be going into high schools and freshmen and sophomore classes and technology and business uh, and saying just how critical it is, it is to understand these kinds of environments and what they're doing for our everyday connected lives. Um, but realistically speaking, if we want millennials and Gen Zers to save the data center or to save this new digital infrastructure that we work with every single day, it needs to start earlier, right? So we at Switch, we sponsor FIRST Robotics, right? Entire teams of young people that are building, well, it's pretty cool, man, robots to compete, right? In these massive competitions, I'm sure you've seen them on TV, the battle bots and stuff like that. But these are, yeah, right? These are so much fun. They carry out specific tasks. They, um, you know, it makes people think differently around using these kinds of technologies. But believe me, we're starting in like middle school, junior high, where we're opening the eyes of these young students so they can better understand, you know, what these systems can do, that they're so different than some of these movies and videos and TV shows that they've seen about blinking lights and, you know, dark environments, that these are really, really cool ecosystems that once you tour it and once you actually see them in action, you'll have a much better perspective. So the the change has to start with dialogue at very, very early uh, educational states. So uh, junior highs, uh, elementary schools, for example, and you're not trying to teach them technology. You're just trying to build context and awareness. So um, trying to tie in what they do every single day with the technologies that they touch or, or where they might live, for example. Um, so, you know, STEM programs call for diversity. Uh, you know, these are the kinds of uh, programs that are going to allow us to get more of these young people excited. You know, a big challenge that we've had, and this is what the article talks about, too, is that a lot of data center professionals are adopted from IT. And again, I came from that kind of perspective. I was a cloud engineer. I did a lot of uh, you know, IT and networking background uh, work, but you know, got into the data center because I saw just how powerful and impactful this kind of type of ecosystem can be. Um, so again, it, you got to start early. So turning this to you a little bit, um, when did you become involved in technology? Oh my God, that's, that's a good question. Um, so believe it or not, uh, I'm going to give I'm going to give our listeners a little bit of a, of a fun Bill Clayman tidbit. I was actually born in this country. I was born in Kiev, Ukraine, um, and we came to the states in the early '90s. And it's actually started. And, and I hope my brother does get a chance to listen to this. But you know what those you know telegraphs, right? The, 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 the Morse code, right? So he used to compete at like a Soviet level, and he was like uh, like this this you know one of the top telegraph, you know, the, how fast can you send a word or a number or a letter across uh, to, to a different location? He was one of the fastest guys in the Soviet Union back then. And I would sit there, just sit there quietly and watch him, watch him work and watch him compete. Sometimes he'd let me sit in front of his really cool, shiny silver telegraph and, and press the Morse code buttons a couple of times. In fact, I learned from him how to do some of these basics of here's my numbers, here's my longitude and latitude if I ever get lost. But here's Here's why this is the nexus. I, for the first time, when I was like maybe four, five, six years old, saw how communication works at such a rudimentary level. And I was fascinated by that. Um, and ever since then, coming to the United States, going to school, I got a network engineering degree. Uh, I got a master's in business and another master's in information security. Um, it's been just absolutely inspiring to see the things that we've done with technology and how they can change our lives. And that's why it's been hard for me to focus in on any one specific technology, why I love to work with everything from DevOps to AI to cognitive systems to, you know, green renewable energies and how to make a data center a lot more efficient and everything in between, obviously. But it started at a very young age, uh, you know, impacted by people that I saw around me, even in a, in a different country, 
um, you know, working with technology to do some really, really cool things. So believe it or not, even as I'm saying this as a millennial, uh, a telegraph uh, uh, device was actually what got me started and interested in, in, uh, in tech. Well, it's like, I mean, it's just the old, like, basically, like, ham radio, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, I mean, that, like, the old ones, I mean, you can build, like, out of a crystal set, and it's, I mean, the technology there is so basic, but so completely understandable. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely agreed. And, and that's, that's how you start, right? That's why you're seeing a lot of these really fun little robotics kits and, you know, get your kids a Raspberry Pi, for example. You know, there's, there's really, really fun ways. I mean, you go from telegram machines to, um, you know, obviously working with a Raspberry Pi device where you can build a full-on, you know, Windows machine with this little tiny board. Um, that's how far we've come. But give that to a young person. Allow them to create something right give a um give digital life to a piece of technology i mean that's that's really sort of an awakening moment right because at that point like starting in grade school or middle school or whatever i mean once you're if you start naming the pieces of the dream like okay this is my dream right like you were talking earlier about the uh young woman that you'd met once you start breaking that dream down into just kind of the bullet points of what goes into making that a reality all of a sudden, you're creating hooks that people can you can build on, and you know tie into, and then from there you can find like the places of interest that they have, and start to grow that into like a little bubble where it actually becomes feasible. It's because I mean without without each little step, it's kind of becomes this kind of amorphous thing that you want to move mm-hmm. towards, but there isn't anything there. And I feel like so much of what has changed in the technology industry over the last 15, 10, 15 years is getting a better awareness of that because things have scaled up so much that specialties have, you know, really kind of become the norm, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. It does. It does. And oh my goodness, do you draw an amazing parallel just how far we've come over the past 10 to 15 years. Do you realize that in the year 2000, just in the year 2000, we used to have those Nokia phones. I don't know if you remember those or not. You could basically oh, drop sure. them off. Right, right. Drop them off a four-story building on the concrete. They're fine. If you find it right now and turn it on, it probably still has 90% battery. But do you know what we used to use those things for in 2000? Phone calls. We used to actually make phone calls with these devices. And if you fast forward to 2019, these very same phones, 92% of what we do with this stuff is everything other than making phone calls, right? So you're talking about how far we've come with technology, this connected state that we live in. Um, You're absolutely right. We need to change the messaging that we've got to young people in terms of technology, how it's being used. And obviously the old legacy language around, hey, get into tech, the same stuff that we've used at the you know, turn of the 2000 of the century, it's not going to fly anymore, right? You ask somebody, what do you think is going to happen over the course of the next five, 10 years? It's almost an impossible prediction at this point, but you can see just how much has changed. Listen, to put it in perspective, the iPhone came out in 2007. So there you go. Crazy. No, I know it's, it's hard to wrap your head around the, uh, the growth we've made in technology for sure. Um, so I just want to circle back, um, you know, talk kind of about your experiences and, and what you've been doing. Obviously, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at your, your profile on LinkedIn, you're a bit of a technology renaissance man. Uh, you're an analyst, board member, speaker, blogger, podcaster. Um, obviously, other than working at Switch, um, what is it that you enjoy doing most? You know, I, if I said sleep, you guys would laugh at me. You'd be like, <laughs> you, you, know, 
you don't sleep clearly. Um, so there's, there's a lot of stuff that I get a chance to do, and it really does focus around one core driving factor that I really enjoy, and that's teaching, right? Educating the industry and the market. If you've ever read what I've done and seen me present and a keynote stage or a breakout session, whatever, it's, it's always, always about that aha moment, right? The, the teaching, uh, getting people excited around technology and understanding use cases behind. So it's no longer just like a myth, a word, a marketing term, um, and it's guilty, as I am in using these marketing terminologies all the time, cloud edge cognitive systems. What I love to do is, is pause there, let people roll their eyes and actually say, but here's what it does. Here's how you interact with it every single day. Here's how it's going to change your life in the future. I, I wouldn't say that I have one favorite thing that I do amongst all this stuff, but they all have one thing in common and that's to educate the industry, get people inspired to do great things with technology, build a foundation for a sustainable digital future, and honestly, you know, get more people to do great things with technology. Um, that's, that's the biggest driving factor around all of this. Um, and, and what's really been successful, and if anybody's listening to this, and if you're a young person, or, you know, it doesn't matter, if, if you are passionate, if you have, um, you know, a good visibility technology, you, you should absolutely try and educate others. Now, here's the one other thing. I'm also a technologist. I'm always going to be a technologist. I've got a, uh, I've got a, my own little data center. I've got a half height rack. I've got Cisco gear and Meraki ecosystem and uh, all over the place. I've got my own private cloud. So I, I don't want to let go of that uh, actual technology aspect that I get a chance to play with all the time and then share that, share that knowledge. So as much as I am a renaissance man, I, I feel like all of these things, I'm, I'm most of all a technology educator to get people just as excited, um, you know, without the caffeine that I have to take every day uh, about technology, certainly the data center and this digital future that we live in. So a lot of stuff that I do, but beyond anything else, uh, I love getting people inspired, excited by, by educating them. Yeah, you sound like a technology evangelist, quite frankly. <laughs> getting people there we go. There we go. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> Um, so you're currently working as um, the Executive Vice President of Digital Solutions at Switch. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about your day-to-day -day there and who are the end users you, su you support? So that's, uh, that's a, it's a really just an amazing opportunity and an amazing job with probably one of the best companies, uh, technology companies on the planet. Um, you know, as you're listening to this, and this is why I know that, uh, you know, everyone out here is multitasking and millennials, you're more than welcome to pop the name into Google just so you can read, or you know what, your search engine of choice, let's say that. Uh, so you can read a little bit more about Switch and what we do. But my day-to-day -day sort of uh, has two hats, right? One on the technology side, so I work very closely with uh, developing cloud strategies, uh, working on the technology side in terms of the things that we host, uh, you know, working with customers to make sure that um, they're developing and delivering the right kinds of technology solutions around density, around workloads, around connectivity, for example. Are they working with latency-sensitive uh, sort of edge solutions, or are we working with more traditional processing engines? And then... You nailed it. I'm also the evangelist, right? I'm also the guy that works uh, with our branding and marketing team. Um, and I'll get a chance to continue to write and speak at major industry events. So two hats, uh, one definitely deep on the technology side and one helping get the wonderful message of who we are at Switch out uh, to the rest of the industry. That's amazing. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, Switch, you know, anybody in the data center space knows, knows who they are. And uh, Greenpeace recently scored Switch as the highest overall on its clean company scorecard. I was just curious, what are the things that really make Switch stand out as a company? What a, what a proud moment, right? And, and I was looking at that, and that's really one of the biggest reasons why I came to this organization uh, is because it's a company that's built on karma. 
And even the logo, if you take a look at our arrows, that that's what it is, right? Karma, do good for the world and the world will do good for you. And we genuinely believe and we genuinely execute every single day in our business in that mentality. It's, you know, I shouldn't even say the word belief. It's, it's, it, it's our DNA and at the core of our culture is, is being a good karmic resident of this world. It sounds so far out, but it's really true. What sets this company apart from Anybody else in the data center industry, and I really want to make that clear, is the dedication to innovate and the dedication um, towards perfection in terms of how we work with customers and in the data center space. But beyond anything else, it's seeing this technology ecosystem that we work with every single day fundamentally differently. Uh, that's a big reason why led by our, our, our founder and president, uh, Rob Roy, we have more than 500 patents. We look at data center technologies and we immediately think, hang on a second, this isn't a commodity. How can we make this better? How can we improve resiliency? How do we continue this 100% uptime that we've had for the past 18 years? How do we continue to support 100% renewable energy for all of our locations? How do we continue to support massive hyperscale customers as well as people who have maybe just half a rack and make them feel the same way. So what makes this company stand out above and beyond anybody else, aside from the fact that we're working on some truly amazing projects, and maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later, um, in the world of cloud, smart cities, edge computing, and certainly cognitive systems, it's the time and energy that we put into our unique and patented designs to make our ecosystem a true technology ecosystem. Now, there's there's fun fact and figures out there, right? Largest data center ecosystem in the world, 100% renewable energy, like I said, 100% uptime. That's really cool. And numbers speak for themselves, but it's the culture and it's the people um, and it's how we get our own customers excited around working with these kinds of technology platforms that makes us stand out beyond anybody else. Um, and this is a big reason why I came here as well. I've known the industry. I've, I've spoken with a lot of amazing other data center, you know, REITs, real estate investment trusts, uh, data center partners. And this company, it, it does things differently. It does things to support that digital foundation. Um, and I think it's going to continue to stand out for, for many, many years to come. Tell me more about what is this patented design? Like, what goes into that? Like, what when you're talking about, like, switches, two big things are innovation and perfection. And mm -hmm. to me, perfection is, you know, straight up my alley, straight up my alley of, you know, quality management from quality management systems, all that kind of stuff. Tell me more about the innovation side. And, of course, then I do want to hear about the perfection side. And I want to know more about patented design. Absolutely. Uh, so, for example, the way we work with our T-skips and the way we design our actual data center environment, we want to use a lot of logic. So we design an airflow system that, hang on a second, uses physics to our advantage as far as letting the hot air rise and letting the cool air flow throughout the aisle. So we've designed a way to uh, allow this kind of ecosystem to flow through the actual cabinets and up through the ceiling and out through our own unique custom patented airflow and conditioning systems. Here's another one. If you ever take a look, I'm just going to give you one simple uh, example, the switch shield, right? It's really cool. You can pop it into your search engine and check it out right now. But we've got our own roofing architecture that can sustain up to 200 mile an hour winds. That's pretty insane. And you will never, ever experience a leak into your data center. Now, this is this is something that maybe some people think is trivial, but in reality, it's, it's pretty cool. So not just one roof, but actually two, a secondary dome roof that can create other additional protection levels. There's other ones as well. For example, creating fans that even in a power outage will continue to 
spin and make sure that your environment is cool, even if there's no energy using you know, our own proprietary system. And again, all of this stuff is available, by the way. We're not, we're not keeping it a secret. You're more than welcome to uh, go on our website, check out our patents, check out some of the things that we're doing around design. Now, if I were to sit here and rattle off all of these patent, patent pendings uh, that, we, that we go through, uh, this would be a very, very long podcast, but obviously you're welcome to review those with our own teams. But that's where the innovation comes in, right? We look at a design and we understand what can we improve, where is it good already potentially, and how can it impact our customers sort of in the future and moving forward. So what, then this is a big reason why we've been able to maintain 100% uptime for the past 18 years. Again, it's, it, nothing's ever gone down. And it's, again, an architecture around sustainability, an architecture around connectivity, uh, and an architecture around creating the most resilient systems out there. And then uh, really sort of putting all of that together. I mean, and then coupled with obviously the connectivity element, we have our own $6.7 trillion buying cooperative for connections and carrier neutrality uh, that's coming into our, our, into our data center. So you have this ability to leverage the most powerful, fastest connections um, all going through, through a data center ecosystem. So um, very, very long-winded, but we take pride in how we design our data centers and how we design our technology ecosystems. I know I use the word data centers, we're going to continue to do that, but it really is a technology ecosystem um, and a lot of the pride and effort that we put into our own proprietary design. So hopefully that gives you a, uh, a bit of a perspective, but again, I couldn't recommend this enough. By all means, just check out Switch and our patents to really see some of the really cool things that we've made out there that nobody else in the industry has. That to me, that's so cool because it's not only is it a dedication to you know the company and everything that goes with it, which is no small feat, right? I mean, I feel like everybody you know has to be dedicated to their company, but it's also a dedication to the industry and trying to forward the industry as a whole, mm-hmm. and then giving away the stuff that you develop. I mean, I feel like so many of the guys who I respect the most across various industries are really the the single thing that ties it all together is trying to come up with new and better ways of doing things and then giving them away and trying to educate people on how to do it the way that you figured out is better, show them why it's better, and then just keep moving on because otherwise you're just like an old man trying to hold on to this like dream of the past. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no future in that. And, oh, my God. And, Complacency? And like our one goal here, right, is to mm-hmm. further mankind and just kind of the universe in which we live and in which we operate. I, I love that. I, everything you said, I, I'm, I'm like nodding here, and I apologize for, for, for jumping in. I think complacency is absolutely like the worst thing you could ever do um, you know, in the technology field. The, the, the second you start feeling comfortable is the second you should start asking yourself, why am I feeling comfortable? You know, a part of a digital disruption or digital strategy is – you know, in order to disrupt the market, you yourself need to be disrupted. And that's the scariest thing you could possibly say to an executive or anybody out there, but it's something that needs to happen, right? Even if you're doing some kind of a solution day that quote unquote works, I know you can't see my air quotes, doesn't mean it's actually bringing you value or a positive user experience. So, you know, absolutely, this would be something that I would, uh, I would recommend. Don't get complacent. The second you start feeling comfy in your job is the second you start, should start learning something new. It's just, it's, that's when you start realizing, like, wait a minute, what was it that I used to do that I stopped doing? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's generally change. Oh, scariest thing you can imagine out there next to public speaking. <laughs> <laughs>
So, Bill, you talked about, obviously, um, you know, all the patents that you have, 100% uptime, 100% renewable energy. I'm sure a lot of uh, effort, time was put into making all that happen. Um, what are, what's the most exciting project that you yourself has worked on or that you plan on working on in the near future? Wow. You know what the challenge is about answering that question is that I can't name names, right? That, that's the, <laughs> the, the most uh, – I wish I could just rattle off all the fun things that I'm doing, but I, I can't. But I can say keep an eye on the press releases because you will see it soon enough – Part of the part of the fun and or challenges of working with a publicly traded organization, but I will give you guys some perspective. So, uh, some of the really cool things that we're working on uh, revolve around a couple different things. First of all, and I can't get too much into this, but edge, uh, and not just any kind of edge ecosystem, but literally to create smart cities, light up intersections, um, create smarter airports, create an environment that allows for uh, the sustainability and connectivity of an entire city, block, building, whatever the case might be. But here's the thing, time out. We're not just, you know, here's a piece of infrastructure that's connected to some, some heater or telecom site. Good luck to you. We take edge completely differently in the sense that we understand this is not just like a secondary ecosystem. And, and time out, everyone listening to this, if you think edge is just some, some kind of closet or something you're going to put uh, to the side, you need to rethink your edge strategy because if you lose an edge component or an edge data center or whatever the case might be, you're going to potentially seriously impact your workloads, applications, and user performance. We live in a world where slow is the new down. So anything that experiences additional amounts of latency, especially for someone who's like a millennial, I'm, I'm closing my laptop and I'm going to Starbucks, or I'm going to get myself a coffee. Um, not that I need any more caffeine, but that's, that's the challenge that we live in today is that, uh, is that you just can't lose these kinds of platforms. So we switch our designing edge ecosystem that have our resiliency, that have our unique patented designs built into these much smaller pod-like containers that can be deployed and delivered anywhere. So one of the fun projects I'm working on is edge lighting up some really, really cool cities and some other kinds of, uh, fun government fed sled kind of, uh, kind of projects. The other one I'm going to talk about really briefly is cloud and not just connecting into cloud, not just doing like a VPN or a direct connection to the cloud. What we're doing is something very, very special. These are going to be several major cloud providers, content cloud content providers, and actually public cloud providers as well that are going to be living literally within the data center walls of Switch. And this is something so special, a sub millisecond latency cloud ecosystem. So literally a customer can have their physical workload in a data center and say, I need to leverage that public cloud provider. There's no VPNs, no direct connectivity. Literally the cloud is right there. The actual cloud services. This is revolutionary. This is so exciting. Um, and this is a completely new way to build out a hybrid, most of all multi-cloud ecosystem without having to actually move any of your platforms. So that's another really, really fun one thing that the uh, cloud a project that we're working on. I can't name names, but keep an eye on those press releases because you're going to hear a lot more about this. That's awesome. We will. So, Bill, we've seen um, uh, a lot of areas really grow in the data center space recently, Las Vegas, Northern Virginia, Dublin, Amsterdam. Uh, they've become huge data center markets, and that might be either because of alternative power sources or shifts in commerce. Um, where do you think we might start seeing new emerging data center locations uh, throughout the world and why? So that's a, that's a really great, uh, really great thought to start approaching. So I was at AFCOM Data Center World and, um, I was pulled aside by a professor from Tulane and she's actually teaching, you know, data center design, architecture, construction, for example. And she asked me 
basically this question, but why are people building a data center in the middle of Louisiana or like Alabama or somewhere along those lines? And, and the answer was simple, right? It's not just about real estate. It's about connectivity. It's about access, roads, airports. It's about power, utilities, multiple carriers. You know, you don't just want to create a single point of failure. Uh, you want to have a data center that's built around redundancy. So to answer that question specifically, um, we are going to see a continued explosion of, uh, of data center ecosystems, let's call them. And uh, I'm going to funnel in things like edge into this environment as well. There's been some projects in my past that I've worked on that involve telehealth and telemedicine where you can bring these life-saving, life-changing services to users that are sitting hundreds, hundreds of miles away from a primary data center where a doctor using 720 or 1080p video can check for x-rays, can check on results, can actually talk to the person. Cameras can be, you know, you can look down into somebody's mouth or ear, for example, and the doctor gets a live feed. Now, any of that would not be possible without a good content distribution ecosystem um, or a platform that can support this level of latency sensitive connectivity. So the future is going to revolve more around data centers being built strategically in hubs to create regions and zones. But certainly, if you just don't need massive environments, you're going to see smaller ecosystems like Edge that are going to be doing some initial processing of data, some cleaning of it, uh, maybe hosting some, some very important latency-driven applications or, or workloads that need to be close to the source. Um, but beyond anything else, you know, it's good to be in the data center business, you guys. I mean, it's, it's a big reason um, you know, why we're continuing to see this boom. And on stage... Everybody listening, on stage in front of a few thousand people, I got the question of, Bill, do you think cloud is going to kill the data center? And I almost, I almost kicked the podium over because that question just gets asked too much. Um, and so you know, I responded in front of everybody, no, the, the cloud is not here to kill the data center. Don't ask that question anymore. The cloud is a direct complement to the data center. Organizations are realizing that to centralize all of this data, all of these workloads in one cloud or even multiple clouds, it's, it's not effective and it can get really, really costly, especially if you're doing things like, you know, data driven analytics, you need to do things like uh, processing at the edge. Some of this stuff just takes too long to get there and back. So you have to deploy more workloads so cloud can get pricey and sometimes complicated. This is why uh, this is why cloud and this is why, um, you know, it, it cloud is being used as, as a much more of a tool uh, around things like IoT, around processing, working with new kinds of DevOps things uh, and workloads. Um, but beyond anything else, it's, it's going to be uh, a lot more deployments around localized data processing. So obviously data centers, smaller data center environments, um, you know, all over the world. And as connectivity and as utilities um, and as we get more carriers in certain regions and locations, those spots are going to see uh, more potential data centers being built out as well. Uh, look at all these new, fun, emerging markets. Nevada is one of them. Uh, Arizona is another. Obviously, Nova, now Northern Virginia. Um, we're seeing continuous build-outs. If, if it wasn't anything else, you'd see more around cloud, right? And um, that's certainly not the case. I think the data centers is very, very healthy, especially some of those secondary and tertiary systems. Uh, they're going to be deployed. Now, as far as locations are concerned, um, you, you're still asking the question of, well, are there utilities? Are there, is there, are there access roads? You know, are, do, is there tax deferment, for example? A lot of things have to go into the question before you break any ground in any location. Um, but I do think it's, it's good to be the data center business. It's going to continue to grow. So the, the physical data center, right? I mean, that's kind of like, where do I want to put my company's headquarters? You know, and then, you know, where do I want to put their manufacturing? Where do I want to put their warehousing, mm -hmm. you know, and their distribution, all the rest? 
but on the other part of the, you know, the other part of what you were just talking about, you know, is cloud going to kill the data center? Um, you know where clouds live, right? I mean, they, they do live in data centers. Last time I checked, you know, and it's it's not just, you know, in a library. It actually needs data centers. But, you know, that's kind of a generalization. At the end of the day, if you've got a cloud and you've got data centers, data centers feed that cloud. And that cloud feeds data centers. And without that, you know, in the same way as, I mean, you can just take the metaphor all the way back to lakes and rivers and streams. Mm -hmm. that without all that stuff, there is no there there is no cloud because at that point in time, you're really going back to 1970, and we're just all sitting here on external. <laughs> no, I, I I'm laughing because you are you are so so correct in that in that uh, in that concept. Um, you know you know what Google and Amazon and Facebook have done a really good job. They've positioned themselves as uh, you know services, applications, Windows workloads, whatever uh, technology companies that happen to own really big data centers. You guys, they're they're data center companies. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. They own really massive and really cool data centers, but. That's not how they position themselves. They're technology companies. I think the future with those that are going to be able to lead in this industry, not just provide another commodity service, they're going to be technology-driven organizations. Listen, Switch falls into that category, and I'm proud to say that. We're a technology company that happens to own some of the world's best data centers. But that's how we're seen, right? We provide technology solutions, business services, and we happen to own some amazing, amazing architectural and infrastructure technologies. So... You know, those are the kinds of folks that are going to be able to differentiate themselves in the future. It's going to be the people that say, right, data centers are important. Here's why they're unique. Here's why they're different. But beyond anything else, it's a technology ecosystem. So um, I, I agree with you 100%. All right, because it's, it's not just about a theater. It's about all the things that you can do with that and all the places where you can go. And mm -hmm. from there, it's like there's just so much more possibility once you're able to work with somebody who – understands that and is on the same page and excited to move forward. Agreed, 100%. I feel like that's, you know, when we were talking earlier about education, it's that so much a part of it, right, is to me is educating actual kids, but then also kind of changing the way that we do education. Because in the same way that marketing has changed, education is changing too. Like, we don't just so, market straight from billboards and robocalls and whatever, you know, and <laughs> TV ads. I mean, if you're not, you know, marketing on Instagram, you're probably wicked out of date. And I'm so out of date with it, I couldn't even tell you what's taking over for that now. You know, you bring up some really good points. And I was, uh, I, I just got named to the iMason, so Infrastructure Masons Advisory Council. And I'm, I'm, I'm like 100% sure I'm the only millennial on the advisory council. We do have some other young people in the group and the organization in general. And, you know, we, we did the Global Summit meeting recently in California. And myself and maybe six or seven other young millennials were asked to go up in the front of the group on stage. This is completely impromptu. And leaders in the data center space, listen, you guys, these are people who own and operate and are the founders of the biggest data centers in the world in our country, period. And they started asking us questions. How did you get into this? What did you hear about it? Were you adopted into this field? Um, you know, what can we do to entice you? How do, we, you know, how do we work with you guys? And there are so many misconceptions around millennials. Um, as a part of that event, uh, there was another speaker. Her name is Dr. Julie Albright, and she's a lecturer at USC. 
Um, and she wrote a really fun book called Left to Their Own Devices, right? As far as looking at millennials, our connected society. Um, and a lot of times there's these misconceptions that, you know, we are entitled, that, you know, we feel like it's a right to work from home. And a lot of times people don't ask the question of, well, are you more productive when you work from home? Are you able to do all the things that you require? You know, we've got these nomadic millennials, right? If you take a look at Facebook or uh, other kinds of large employers, employers of young people, they're living in like vans. They're living in like this, these different kinds of uh, mobile mobile living units. So so it's it's a completely different kind of generation that you need a different type of voice to get their attention. So I agree with you. No robocalls. No billboards. Um, you know, yeah, you got to be sending out DMs, posting your stuff on IG, and you know, getting getting the word out on Twitter and Snapchat and all these other really really fun and different ways of, 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 of communicating via social media. Um, so, you know, in that, in that session, we learned quickly that there's, there's a generational gap and misunderstanding of how to motivate and get young people uh, into the data center and sort of what needs to be done to overcome that. I don't think the world is on fire. I don't think, you know, data centers are going to run dry without talent. Um, and I absolutely am confident that I think the leaders of our industry, and I'm talking about the biggest data center operators in the world, are seeing this challenge and are starting to apply a different way of thinking to get young people more involved in, in data center operations. And let me just make something clear. It's not just somebody who's in the data center, who's checking lines and links. This is construction as well, right? Uh, let's talk about like, you know, STEAM or STEM. There's a couple of different acronym ways you can spell this. But like there, there's, you know, science, technology, there's math as a part of it. Construction of a data center is different than it used to be, right? You have to worry about density. You have to worry about your your uh, utilities, who you're going to be working with as the business aspect to it. So a young person could very well need to be a expert in building out data center environments with designs around things like density and connectivity and all these other kinds of variables that are much more evolved than what we used to work with. So it's it's getting them excited around that full spectrum of working in technology. Bill, so other than um, following you, obviously, on LinkedIn and Twitter, um, what are some of the resources that young people can follow and, and look to to get excited about the, the industry? You know, I, I always recommend uh, finding a friend on Twitter. And you guys, listen, you're more than welcome to find me out there. Um, I'm, I'm sure my information is available on, on this podcast or right below as you're reading this. You can follow me. My, my, my Twitter handle is QuadStack. Um, but there's a lot of really great folks out there that talk about cloud. There's a lot of really good publications. Uh, I write for Information Week and Network Computing and Dark Reading. Um, I write for Data Center Knowledge uh, as well as uh, Data Center Frontier. These are great resources to, that, that explain really complex topics uh, in ways that you can grasp or better understand them. And here's the thing, um, where you find voices that are young, you will also find voices that will tell your story, right? Where are you concerned? What are you looking at? What positions are potentially most interesting? Now, let, me, let me give you an example. Right now for Data Center Knowledge, I'm writing a series of articles. You just saw one, but the next one might be okay. So you want to become a data center engineer. Here's what you need. Here's what you need to get started. Here's the people that you talk to. Here's how you actually do this. Okay, so you want to be a network administrator working in a data center. Here's what you need to know. We don't have that as much or like a central repository where people can just pick a job concept and really get better understand it. So really long-winded answer. Uh, you know, 
if you're listening to this and you're young, you probably know how to use hashtags, but just, just find the trending topics that are most interesting to you. Everything from hashtag game development to, you know, hashtag data center design. You will find really good resources out there. At the very least, listen to the podcast, uh, reach out to the good folks out here as you're talking to right now. Uh, and personally, I know I'd be more than happy to guide you, um, you know, to talk at least to the right people. But there's some really, really cool resources out there. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I mm-hmm. feel like, you know, we've learned so much um, in this talk today. I know I certainly have. And uh, I always enjoy talking about education um, and, you know, pretty much anything to do with that and with construction management and with technology and just kind of how to get people more interested in finding all the little steps and getting excited about things and making something their own that, that they never even knew existed before this morning. And then, you know, in the evening, they're telling their parents about it as if they've been studying it for a year. And how could you guys not know about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Um, so, James, I know you had one more question on your list. I did. You know, I wanted to end with something fun, Bill. And I know mm-hmm. last time we talked, you talked about some superheroes. Oh, and uh, I figured I'd ask you uh, if, if uh, you had your choice to elect any superhero to be our next president, who would it be and why? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You saved the hardest question you <laughs> could imagine for very last. So I, th- I, think, I think this question deserves a tiny bit of context. I am a Marvel and superhero junkie. If you're at this, I know this is a podcast, but hey, guys, next time we'll do a video cast, and you'll see that my office, it's literally lined with original prints and uh, uh, signed comic book covers of, of my favorite Marvel characters. So who do I think is... And this is I, it's going to be impossible to pick one person, right? Obviously, the top of my list would be Captain America. But listen, he actually did this in a comic book, and it didn't end too well for him, so I'm, I'm not going to spoil it if you, didn't, if you didn't read this comic yet, so I'll let you do it. Who else do you pick? Superman? Right. So he does two terms, and then which other mortal could you possibly fill those shoes you know, after Superman leaves office? So you know, there's, there's a couple of people that I think are going to be at the top of my list. I still think Cap is pretty good. Um, you know, I am a huge, huge Tony Stark fan. I'm just worried that he might be a little eccentric and do something crazy while in the office. But you know what? Pepper Potts. You know, if you saw the latest Avengers movie, I promise I won't say anything to spoil it. You'll know that she's kind of a hero and kind of sort of awesome. Plus, guess what Pepper Potts did? Ran the entire Stark organization while Tony was having, you know, his, his coming to terms moments and realizing what his value in life is. So, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you guys a curveball. Pepper Potts for president. Pepper Potts 2020. There you go. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Love it. <laughs> All right, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the Tech Bench podcast today. Uh, it was great talking with you. Really enjoyed it, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you, Bill. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for what you do. Uh, it's, it's an amazing industry out there. Always stay excited, stay inspired, and stay motivated to do great things. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the TechBench Podcast. On our next episode, we'll be speaking to Yagnesh Ashra, the Director of Enterprise Solutions at Supermicro. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the LTTB Podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas, please feel free to email us at techbench at liquidtechnology.net. 
For show notes, visit liquidtechnology.net slash techbench. You guys, that was so much fun. That was awesome. Hey. Oh, yeah. man. Loved your last answer. I had no idea like where James was going with that and then come to find out. So that's really cool. Now we just, next time around, we have to figure out who's going to be the VP. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Bucky Barnes, you know, I don't know. <laughs> that guy's a good sidekick.